You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. Welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, a podcast where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, I'm your co-host, and I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. Today we are talking about an animal that both skeeves me out and fascinates me, the rat. <laughs> but first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Hey, we have sports news today. Sports, yay! Yeah! Sportsing! <laughs> sports ball! Brondby IF and FC Copenhagen are separated by just seven miles, and it's one of the most bitter rivalries in Danish football, or if you live in the United States, it's soccer. They went head-to-head once again on Easter Monday... Which I didn't know was a thing. Is there an Easter Monday? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. FC Copenhagen won one to nothing that day, but there was no Easter goodwill in Copenhagen. The tension mounted, and Brondby fans threw rats at two of the opposing players. <laughs> now, throwing things on the field is not unheard of, and even, like, here in Florida, we have the Florida Panthers hockey team. Sometimes they'll throw toy rats on the on the ice, like little plastic rats. Hmm. But uh, a couple of these Bronby fans were a little more hardcore. They were actual dead rats. Aww. Well, I'm yeah. gl- I mean, I'm glad the rats were not living rats, because that would be horrible. I wish they were. I mean, that would. I mean, I would be more impressed if you smuggled living rats into the sports stadium. But thing not to throw live rats at someone. No, <laughs> not to throw. That's terrible. No, it is. That'd it's, be it's, mean. It's bad. We're nice to animals here. We are. Even rats. Brondby sports director Trolls Beck condemned the incident, saying, We are obviously annoyed that we had to leave the field without points, but it is equally unfortunate that there are some fans at today's match who could not work out how to behave properly. We will now look at the video material and pictures and engage in dialogue with supporters in the hope that together we can identify the right person and make sure he or she is banned from the stadium. Uh, One of the players kind of took it all in stride. A a player called Ludwig Augustinson. Mm -hmm. There we go. I nailed it. Ludi! (laughs) Ludi! 
So he had a good attitude about it. He posted a, a photo of Remy from the movie Ratatouille uh-huh. on his Instagram page with the caption, Derby Victory. So he kind of <laughs> thumbed his nose at the people who were throwing rats at him. I love how the coach um, is called Trolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's trolling him right back. <laughs> yep. Ludwig Augustinson told Danish radio, and I was going to pull the sound clip for this, but it was like all in whatever language they speak in Copenhagen. Uh, it was all bork, bork, bork. Uh, he, <laughs> Dutch. He, is that Dutch? Okay. I think so. Well, Copenhagen would be Swedish, right? It is Swedish, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, he said that he had beer and coins thrown at him before, but never dead animals. Ugh. He said, I tried to ask the referee whether I should take the corner with a couple of rats in front of the ball, but he just told me to kick him away and play on. So that's what I did. And there's a video of it. And he just he just kicks him off the pitch and keeps on going. <laughs> oh, the last the last sentence in this article just blows my mind. Because it's so, like, non nonchalant or whatever. It says, we've seen pig's heads, rabbits, and a number of other wild things thrown onto soccer fields, and now we can add rats to the list. Somebody brought a pig's head into a soccer stadium and threw it on the field. Like, it's just an aside. Oh, yeah, we've seen pig's heads before. Wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? It sounds like they're getting a little mafiosa up there in the <laughs> soccer world. <laughs> oh, I don't know what to say, except... Uh, I don't either. Everybody remember to go to blazingcariboustudios.com <laughs> for links to our audio and show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter at at Varmin's Podcast, all one word, and at Varmin's Podcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a nice little rating and a review. And let's learn about rats. The kingdom of animals is fascinating. Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living patterns. So come on! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? We are blathering about rats today. Rats! Um, <laughs> rats. You gotta say it with a little something in there, I think. <laughs> rats. Rats and mice are not necessarily the same animal. I, th- I didn't know if rats and mice were the same animal or not before I started this. I thought really? they, maybe they they might be, but they're not. There's, you would um, be able to tell the difference if you saw them together. Yeah, there's a there. I, once I saw the picture of them side by side. Yeah, you could see that there's quite a few differences in size, snout shape, body length, tail length. So a lot of different things. That was that was news to me. They are members of the rodent family. Of course, they, when you think of rodents, you generally one of the first animals you think about is rats. Rats. <laughs> rats. <laughs> There are several different kinds of rats, and some of them probably deserve their own episode. So for today's episode, we're just going to talk about primarily black rats and brown rats, or Norway rats, which are by far the most common species of rat. Together, the black and brown rats are known as old world rats, or true rats. And although they originated in Asia, they can now be found basically everywhere around the world. They're pretty, they can adapt pretty well to any climate any sort of like city or country or anything like that. The only place you won't find rats is in the extreme northern and southern hemispheres where it's very cold. Mm-hmm. The name rat is a shortened version of the genus they belong to, Rattus. Males are called bucks, females are called does, babies are called kittens or 
I think pups too. And I like this. A group of rats. Do you know what a group of rats is called? <laughs> no. A mischief of rats. A mischief of rats. <laughs> yeah. That's very good. <laughs> I like it. That's really, that's very, very good. Yeah. So, Paul, how good a memory do you suppose a rat has? That's a good question. It is a good question. I... That's why scientists asked it. <laughs> well, I know that they're used in, in laboratory testing, so they must have, I mean, and, and with, like, psychological testing, so there must be something there to, to intelligence. But as far as memory, I don't, I don't really know. You know how they, they run them through mazes to get to the cheese and all that kind of stuff, right? You could, sure. You've heard, heard of or seen those little tests before. Yes. Those are all memory-related challenges. Well, it turns out... Scientists at Indiana University just last year found out that rats have a greater episodic memory than we previously thought. So episodic memory is remembering the context in which a memory occurs. Like if you see somebody's face and you're like, oh, that person is super familiar. Oh, I know that person. And you don't remember their name. That's familiarity. When you see somebody's face and you go, oh, I know that person, and it's called Bob. That's episodic memory because then okay. your, your brain starts flashing all these like, well, we were at another party. There was also picnic tables. There were people running around. There were beers <laughs> on the table. And there was this guy, and his name is Bob. Bob! Bob! His name is Bob! <laughs> That's how your brain kind of does that. That's my theatrical interpretation of episodic Bravo. memory. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> Rats can do that. And that uh, is pretty incredible. Um, no way, dude. No, totally way. <laughs> so yeah, they can, they can remember over 30 individual episodes, and this is how they figured it out. So the way they conducted the new study was that they developed a series of challenges in which the rats were asked to recall up to 30 different scents, basil, strawberry, banana, among others, to earn a treat. However, they only earned a reward when they chose the correct scent in a certain context, one of two circular arenas with different black and white patterns on the floor. That's the context, right? Sure. So the place they are. Then they were exposed to a series of many odors and taught to associate new odors, ones to which they had not been previously exposed, with food. After learning this rule, they were put into one arena and exposed to an odor, for example a strawberry, and then they were put into a second arena and exposed to two odors, such as blueberry and strawberry. Finally, they were placed back into the first arena and presented with two odors. They correctly chose the blueberry as the new odor, despite their previous exposure in the other context. Oh, neat. Okay. So yeah. I completely just read those three paragraphs verbatim because I didn't want to mess it up so that everybody could <laughs> kind of understand what they're doing here. But this is what they say. The, result, the results suggest that the rats realized the second odor counted as new, since they had not yet encountered it in the second context. Moreover... The rats performed similarly on several other challenges, including a test designed to challenge their ability to recall these rules over time and an attempt to confuse them through rapidly switching the context. This is what the scientist said. She said, Our findings suggest that the ability to represent numerous episodic memories is quite old in the evolutionary timescale, and more broadly, our work supports the view that rats may be used to model fundamental aspects of human memory. 
And this is going to contribute to Alzheimer's research. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So if you encounter a rat and you think that he recognizes you from when, like you have a friend with a pet rat or something and the pet rat seems to recognize you, he probably does. He probably does. Yeah. That is so cool. I know. (laughs) Anyway, that's from Indiana University and I'll put a link on the show notes. So you concentrated on the front end of the rat and I concentrated on the back end of the rat. (laughs) Uh, Rat tails. Rat tails are neat. They are. They're not just a bad haircut from the late 80s and early 90s, although hey. you do... Shut up. But you, well, you do still see them from time to time at Walmart, so they're not completely gone. I had a rat tail. Shut up. <laughs> did you really? Yes. I did too for like a day, and then my dad made me cut it off. Well, he's a big meanie. Paul's dad, you're a big meanie. <laughs> no, we're talking about actual rat tails today. Long, skinny, creepy-looking, bald rat tails. Yeah. They actually have three functions. The first is thermoregulation, or the way that the rat regulates its body temperature. Minor proprioception, which is just a fancy way of saying balance. Mm -hmm. And, I did not know this, as a defense mechanism. Ooh. Now, yeah. Well, not that. It's actually a little more disturbing than that. Uh Uh-oh. Thermoregulation. Their long tails have six veins and one large artery that run the length of the tail. And those blood vessels will dilate and constrict to regulate the rat's body temperature. So if the if the rat is really hot, those blood vessels will will dilate and they'll be wide open. And since there's no fur there to act as an insulator, all the heat in that blood dissipates through the tail and the rat cools down. Hmm. When the rat's body is cold, when it's cold outside, those blood vessels constrict and then the rat's fur-covered body conserves all that heat. So having that tail like that is kind of like having a built-in air conditioner. It's pretty wow. cool. They also use those long tails to adjust their center of gravity and help them balance on things like ropes and anchor chains and telephone wires and branches, which makes them rather agile. And you can see little videos of them like climbing around on ropes and their little tail is kind of going back and forth and helping them to, to adjust their bodies. Now, the defensive mechanism. They can deglove their tails. Now, actually, I called it a defensive mechanism, but the proper term is it's a no-offensive response, which means Uh that it's an automatic physical response to pain. Right. So if something snatches it by the tail, they can immediately shed that outer layer of the tail and get away. Ooh. Yep. So it's degloving. It's degloving the tail. Is it? uh, It's not a whole degloving, though. They have a layer of skin. Like, they don't lose their whole tail skin do they they lose the outer layer of it yeah they don't lose the tail it's not like a lizard where a lizard will lose its entire tail and grow it back because the tail is filled with blood vessels and muscles and and bone and everything like that so yeah it's just the outer layer of skin that just pops off right but they're not left they're left with some skin left to heal over right yeah but that's the thing is scientists don't know why that is an adaptation that rats still have because even though the rat has gotten away and its tail is degloved, it's really susceptible to infection yeah. for, for a period of time until that skin can grow back. It really makes the rat vulnerable, but I had no idea that a rat's tail did that. Well, you know, tail, or, tail degloved or not, they can still breed, one assumes. So, I mean, I oh, guess yeah. it's just a, 
Yeah, it's uh, adaptations that you can't get rid of are just sometimes not there for a reason. Sometimes they're just hanging on because they're connected to other genes that are necessary. And sometimes they're hanging on because there's just no... There hasn't been an event that has squished all the rats uh, that have that adaptation <laughs> for survival. Right. You know what I mean? So there's been yeah. no, no bottleneck that weeded it out, that kind of thing. It, it could just be something... This just doesn't really do anything. It's mostly just hanging on. But Okay, hey, it's disclaimer time. The Varmints podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then we really only have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So my opinion, man, is that they are actually surprisingly smart, which is one reason that they're ideal test subjects. And everything I read and, and the thing that you told me about that kind of indicates that they're probably smarter than your average household dog or cat. And I gave them a seven. I think that I'm going to give them a seven, too. I think they're pretty smart. I think they're pretty bright. I've encountered some domestic rats, and it's interesting because I've never had one for a pet, but I've known people who did. And um, went to visit them at their house and played with their rats and stuff. Rats are amazing. Rats are great pets they're very personable little guys they're a little skeevy like Ugh. <laughs> I mean, that's the reaction the human reaction to vermin and it's it has nothing to do domestic rats are perfectly safe they're they are they don't carry diseases they're perfectly safe to have your children around them as long as they aren't going to be bitey they're probably not great for itty bitty kids but you know 10 11 right. 12 year olds but um they're great pets and uh they're entertaining little guys. They're pretty smart. You can teach them stuff, and they like to hang out, and watch TV. They like to ride around on your shoulder. They're, they're yeah, super smart little guys. Then I think they're they're really cool. I've known people as well that have pet rats, and they absolutely loved them. And I'm some people think the people that have them for pets are love them. They think they make great pets, and probably most other people look at them and think of sewer rats and swamp rats and, and vermin and i am yeah. somewhere in the gray area in between i don't know if i could actually have one for a pet well if you know if you've been to new york city and seen the sewer rats you can totally tell that is a different kind of rat like they're the same species but there's a difference between a domestic rat and a uh, sewer rat there was i was reading a page about the differences between wild rats and and domestic rats and one of the things was if it's a rat that's just sort of sitting on its haunches sniffing around just kind of relaxing and having a great time that's a domestic rat <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, wild rats always look like they're ready to jump you know oh, they're mm -hmm. like <laughs> <laughs> if they're fat and relaxed they're a domestic rat <laughs> so yeah but I've seen them in uh, the New York City sewers and they are fascinating to watch it's ridiculous if you haven't seen the video of the rat carrying the pizza um, oh pizza rat the yeah pizza rat i'm gonna have to try that sometime i like going to the mall and and, and sitting there and doing some people watching i might have to go to new york city and do some rat watching yep you'll see them on the subway i mean you don't cool. have to even really wait very long there they're there. Now, will they approach you or will they no, avoid you? No, they avoid people. I mean, they ignore people. But if you approach them, they would run away because they have sense. 
All right, we are going to talk about pop culture. We're going to talk about some fun little animal facts. But first, this commercial. Trivia Geeks, the Unpredictable Game Show podcast is back with a brand new season. They've got a new host, new games, and a new day in time. But that's not all. Now you can download their companion app, Triv Now, and play along in real time. Watch Carrie on YouTube as she tries to convince her partner that his dark night hasn't risen in years. Listen on Diamond Club and Alpha Geek Radio, Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter and get all the latest updates and showtimes. And now for something completely different. Hey, you know, me and Donna, we're just a couple of nerds like you, and we don't see animals up close and in person very often, not even rats. So let's talk a little bit about where we see them most of the time, on movies, TV, and video games, and I am going to start with Templeton the Rat from Charlotte's Web, and I... I guess there is a more recent version of Charlotte's Web that I am not familiar with. I'm really only familiar with the 1973 animated movie because that's what we watched in school. Mm -hmm. And he was voiced by Paul Lind, Mm -hmm. who was a really, really funny guy. He was. Yeah, he was on the Hollywood Squares. He was the center square for a long time. Yep. Templeton is the big barn rat in Charlotte's Web. And this is funny. I'm just going to read this from a, a website that talks about a little bit about the book and the characters in the book. It says, Templeton is the big barn rat. Let's be honest, we don't like Templeton one bit. He's rude and mean and gosh, he can be a selfish little rodent. In fact, he's so selfish that he doesn't want to help save Wilbur's life. And then it takes a whole lot of coaxing and bribery for him to help save Charlotte's egg sack. Templeton needs to mind his manners and think of others for a change. If you don't like Templeton, then you're in good company. Even the narrator doesn't have a nice thing to say about this rat. The narrator's very own description of his least favorite rodent is actually in the book. It says, The rat had no morals, no conscience, no scruples, no consideration, no decency, no milk of rodent kindness, no compunctions, no higher feeling, no friendliness, no anything. (laughs) One of those guys that we run into every now and then in life who just refuses to do even the right thing unless it had unless there's something in it for him and that was templeton not necessarily a villain but not a very likable character either and if you have not seen the old 1973 version of charlotte's web in a while this little clip here is going to jog some brain cells that you haven't used in a few years this will be a night to remember A bear is a veritable smorgasbord, orgasbord, orgasbord, after the crowds have ceased. Each night when the lights go out, it can't be found on the ground all around. Oh, what a rattly feast. Melon rinds and bits, a hot dog's cookie crumbs and rock cotton candy melted ice cream, mustard dribblings, moldy goodies everywhere. Lots of popcorn, apple cores, banana peels, and soggy sandwiches and gobs, a gorgeous cook to gobble at the fair. <laughs> Templeton was not a picky eater. No. I loved Templeton. He was one of my Did favorite you? characters. <laughs> Probably because of Paul Lind. 
So. Yeah, well, Paul Lind is kind of what makes... That's the main thing that makes that character likable in yeah. that movie, I think. But he does help in the end. He winds up helping in the end. Yeah. I think he does it kind of begrudgingly. Now, it's been a long time since I saw the movie, so I don't really remember, but it's... Well, I think in the movie, you're, you're supposed to end up thinking like he's sort of got a heart of gold underneath all of that ratty exterior yeah. or whatever. Well, so my guy that I picked is probably less familiar to everybody, but if you are not a Terry Pratchett fan, I am introducing you today. The character I'm going to tell you about is called The Death of Rats. He is called The the Grim Squeaker, and he is from Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. And I'll explain <laughs> his origin if you want to play the, the clip. Somewhere underneath Ankh-Morpork, a rat went about its business, ambling unconcernedly through the ruins of a damp cellar. It turned a corner towards the grain store it knew was up ahead, and almost walked into another rat. This one was standing on its hind legs, though, and wearing a tiny black robe and carrying a scythe. Such of its snout that could be seen was bone white. "'Squeak!' it said. Then the vision faded and revealed a slightly smaller figure— there was nothing in the least rat-like about it, apart from its size. It was human, or at least humanoid. It was dressed in rat-skin trousers, but was bare above the waist, apart from two bandoliers that crisscrossed its chest. And it was smoking a tiny cigar. It raised a very small crossbow and fired. The soul of the rat, for anything so similar in so many ways to human beings certainly has a soul, watched gloomily as the figure took its recent habitation by the tail and towed it away. Then it looked up at the death of rats. Squeak, it said. The grim squeaker nodded. Squeak. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels, death is what is called an anthropomorphic personification, meaning that he has it's a force of nature that's taken on a personality. So death is a guy. He's this guy that hangs around and he comes and snips off your soul and you go wherever you're going, right? And uh, sure. so in the book, when death talks, it's always in all caps. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> He'll be, and he's really funny. He's super funny. He has a horse named Binky, um, which is a real horse. <laughs> he has a white horse called Binky. He tried fiery steeds and all that kind of stuff, but he real, but the fiery steed kept setting the barn on fire, so it was just it was more trouble than it was worth. So he switched to a regular horse. So and Binky wow. is magic, of course, because you know because of death. But yeah, he's just a horse. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a book called Reaper Man, in which death is fired. There are. <laughs> Fired? Yeah, he gets fired. He loses his job. <laughs> <laughs> the auditors of the universe, who are the, they're these sort of faceless entities who run the universe and make sure every, all reality stays in check. They decided that he's just getting too friendly and with humans, caring, caring, having a personality, running around and doing things like that is not acceptable. So they decide he's going to lose his job. But my, like most managers, they kind of screw it up and they don't end up getting a, another death replacement soon enough. <laughs> so all the spirits of everything that dies in the whole world are starting to pile up all over the place. And so the, <laughs> the, the pieces of death that used to 
like death death starts to kind of fragment off into different types of deaths and that's how the death of rats was born because he was just there of necessity his death wasn't there anymore <laughs> so the death of rats just sort of was born he was born out of the fragments of death's personality that are sort of spread all over the place right and right. in the book it's so funny because when he first shows up he puts a bony hand on the shoulder of this other rat and the other rat like sadly hangs his head and he <laughs> and and the grim squeaker goes squeak <laughs> the more you describe terry pratchett's books the more i think that those things were designed in a lab for me because that sounds like so up my alley. He just died recently, right? Yes, he did, yeah. And I've never read a thing that he's done, which is sad. I have got to check some of his stuff out. I Back in the, in the 90s, 80s and 90s, um, when he was writing most of his stuff, I was not reading them. I was I don't know why. I, I started with The Color of Magic, and I think I got distracted with something. But um, um, I've been reintroducing myself to them recently, and the wonderful series of Audible audiobooks that are read by Nigel Planer, who was in The Young Ones as Neil. Uh, that's the voice that you heard reading the segment that we heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, so funny. The books are just incredibly hilarious. If you are a P.G. Woodhouse fan and you run out of P.G. Woodhouse books, you should switch to Terry Pratchett <laughs> because <laughs> it's the same kind of humor. And he was definitely inspired by P.G. Woodhouse. I know he was because I've heard him say it. And, uh, yeah, it's the, it's just the, the greatest set of books. But yeah, the Death of Rats is a fun little character. He's not a main character. He's just sort of always in the background. He's sort of, he can only say squeak with the occasional <laughs> emphasis of eek, eek when he's excited. <laughs> but he's always sort of just assumed to be kind of hanging out in the background, um, around Death's house or, you know, where the barn where Binky is and stuff like that. So yeah, it's really fun. Death of Rats. I like to eat! Oh, I like to eat, too. Uh, Donna, would you eat rats? Not unless it was a zombie apocalypse and I was starving to death. (laughs) I would. I would absolutely eat rats. Mm. That's kind of, uh, actually, kind of a bucket list food item for me. Okay. Supposedly, they're delicious. Supposedly, they're really, really good. Well, you enjoy that. (laughs) <laughs> you are the British... reincarnation of a Roman emperor. You are. You're like, bring me the otters' noses <laughs> dipped in honey. <laughs> Back in World War II, when there was food rationing in England, British biologists that had lab rats would actually eat the rats. They would, they had creamed laboratory rat. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure there are places in the world where people eat rats. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them around, and if you like to eat them, that's probably a good way to stay fit. Donna? Yes? Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Yeah! But, well, let's help the listener <laughs> win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal fact of the week. And the fact of the week that I have is that rats actually like to be tickled. Tickled? Tickled. Unlike me, rats enjoy being tickled. I cannot stand being tickled um scientists have actually been trying to figure out tickling for a really long time even Mm -hmm. aristotle wondered why people can't tickle themselves yeah 
And so they found out that rats enjoy being tickled. A neuroscientist at the Humboldt University of Berlin in Germany, he said that neuroscientists are so obsessed with deficits such as depression and anxiety that it's rare to find papers about positive emotions. Mm -hmm. And now if scientists want to study tickling, there's a huge body of published research on tickling rats. Really? Yes, rats love to be tickled. There is so much science that I can bore you with behind it. But in a nutshell, the way rat brains react to being tickled corresponds very strongly to the way human brains respond to being tickled. Huh. And rats actually giggle and laugh while being tickled. Oh, how funny. It's great. Now, here is actual audio. This is this is real audio. This is this neuroscientist that I quoted at the Humboldt University in Berlin, Germany, and he is um, he's doing some research on, on tickling rats. Here we go. Hello, rat. Hello, human. Hey, what are you doing? I'm going to tickle you. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the real the real thing was really it was hard to pull clean audio for the real thing, so that's what I found. <laughs> we'll put the real thing on the, in the show notes. We'll find a video and you can listen to it for yourself because it's really it is very very cute to actually hear a rat being tickled, and it doesn't sound too far off from what you just heard. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it sounds like rats might have something to laugh about now. Because guess <laughs> what? What? Flea-carrying rats were not responsible for the Great Plagues of Europe. After, no way, dude. After what? eight ah. centuries. It is what? now... Yep. Now, I was always taught that rats carried the plague and the plague got to humans and rats killed humans through yep. the Black Plague. Nope. Are you telling me this, is, this was wrong? That is wrong. First of all, oh, it's the goodness. fleas that spread it. But the animal that was carrying the fleas was not a black rat. It was... An Asiatic gerbil. What? <laughs> yes, I know. That's it. What? How did this figure? They figured it out through studies of the tree rings and the weather okay. and stuff for, for the, the time period. According to a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, climate data back in the 14th century contradicts the commonly held notion that the European plague outbreaks were caused by a reservoir of disease-carrying fleas hosted by the continent's rat population. Niles Christian Stenths is a scientist dealing with this, and he says, For this, you would need warm summers, with not too much precipitation. And we have looked at the broad spectrum of climate indices, and there's no relationship between the appearance of plague and the weather. Instead, the fearsome Black Death seems to be tied to the climate in Asia. Analysis of 15 tree rain records which document yearly weather conditions shows that Europe always experienced plague outbreaks after Central Asia had a wet spring followed by a warm summer. Terrible conditions for black rats, but ideal for the Asiatic gerbils. These sneaky rodents and their bacteria-ridden fleas hitched a ride to Europe via the Silk Road, arriving on the continent a few years later to wreak epidemiological havoc. The findings absolve Europe's black rats of responsibility for the deaths of more than 100 million people. All that stuff recurred until the 1800s. They also explain why the disease popped up intermittently century after century rather than lingering on the continent as long as rats were around to carry it. 
This isn't the first time scientists have challenged a popular understanding of the disease. Last year, researchers examining plague DNA found in 25 14th century skeletons that they found evidence that the disease was airborne rather than distributed by flea bites. So Stent says his team will check their findings by analyzing DNA from a variety of skeletons. And if the samples show significant genetic variation across time, that would in indicate successive outbreaks were caused by newly arrived waves of the disease rather than resurgent from the continent's rat reservoir. And if they're right, we're going to have to rewrite the history book. Wow. Yeah, I will put the article up on the show notes, and I'll also put up a video where the scientist who conducted the research is being interviewed, and he talks about it, so it's pretty interesting. That is awesome. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The Varmints Podcast has been produced with technical support by Matthew Chomo, and all the music that you've been hearing is by Kevin McLeod. Thanks again for listening, and until next time... Be nice to animals! Be nice to rats! <laughs> You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Studios. What's the word that means you're going to sum it up? Uh, nutshell. Nutshell. Not verbatim. Um, condensed nutshell uh, synop synopsis. Synopsis. Yeah, something. Something like that. All right. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> synopsize. I'm going to synopsize. <laughs> Sounds like an action movie thing. Is, I don't even know if that's a word. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I, don't think, I think that's a word I just made it's up. It's a word. You just, you just verbed a noun.